Hello and welcome to West Indies on 99.94 Cricket Every Day. My name is Mashal St. Patrick Hewitt, one half of the Caribbean Cricket Podcast. And with me as ever is my co-host, Santoki Nagulendran. We are West Indies on 99.94. We're your new home for West Indies content. And we will be dropping into your podcast feeds on YouTube or on the 99.94 app three times every week. Thanks for joining Cricket's Conversation. Today on West Indies on 99.94, we're going to talk about, <laughs> I was about to say, the worst defending champions in CPL history, but that, that wouldn't be right. That wouldn't be right. But certainly we're going to be talking about the failure of St. Kitts and Nevis Patriots to defend their CPL title. Santoki. Take it away. Yeah, Mash. Well, as you said, we're going to have a deep dive into the Patriots and look at the franchise. It's sort of they're sort of a strange franchise. They're like a yo-yo side in CPL. I mean, they came in as replacements for the Antigua Hawks Bills in 2015. They finished bottom of the league 2015 and 2016. Then with Chris Gale captaining them, stormed to the final in 2017. And we saw in 2020, they put together one of the most abysmal performances in CPL history, only winning one game, but then again, stormed back in 2021 to actually win it this time. So they're sort of a team who goes up and down. You never really know what sort of side you're going to get year upon year. And this year, they've gone back to be an abysmal match. You know, they've crashed out in the group stages, been eliminated, won't be defending their title. And we're sort of here to ask what went wrong for them? How did they manage to kind of play this badly a year after defending, after winning the CPL? So... There's a lot. As as with all the franchise, there's a lot to take in. But Mash, I'm going to start with, for me, a lack of a, a fast bowler, a premier fast bowler to sort of be the enforcer, take the wickets. If you look at every other franchise in CPL, they've sort of got someone at the moment who's taking wickets, who sort of leads with the ball. For me, St. Kitts, they haven't, they banked on spinners. They got Dan and JR, Rashid Khan came in later on and they banked on Dwayne Jansen as their main main pace bowler and he's very young inexperienced we've seen his twin brother Marco do well in the test side for South Africa but in terms of um, Dwayne for the franchise very inexperienced it was a big gamble to rely on him and obviously Sheldon Cottrell hadn't played any cricket since February coming off an injury so they were banking on him coming back and leading the attack it hasn't worked out that way he's been in and out of the side only bowled two overs so Mash Looking at it, do you sort of agree? Do you think it was sort of the bowling, that sort of lack of a clinical fast bowler, which is just one component as to why they failed this year? I mean, it's it's certainly a contributing factor. I think with the with the St. Kitts and Nevis story, so many things have gone wrong that could have gone wrong that the bowling is probably I'd probably put the bowling as one third or of the of the contributing problems for the St. Kitts and Nevis Patriots. But if I if I take your point um, to its kind of natural conclusion, I mean the, the the stats speak for themselves. the The top bowler for St Kitts and Nevis Patriots this season in terms of wickets was DJ Bravo, ten wickets at twenty five, economy nine point two nine, right? And that's not to demean what Bravo was done. Like Bravo was Bravo, Bravo was being Bravo, but it almost echoes your point about a lack of a strike bowler because Bravo at the age of thirty eight shouldn't be your most effective bowler. His GOAT status notwithstanding, his, his wily off-cutters, slower balls, variations notwithstanding, a successful champion side isn't a side which has D- uh, DJ Bravo 
as their top wicket taker through the tournament. So it does speak to um, the point that you're making that they just simply didn't have a strike bowler. And if people are wondering, well, did they have a strike bowler last year? If you look at last year's stats when they, when they won the competition, um, Dominic Drakes took 16 wickets. Nassim Shah took six. Uh, Paul Van Meekeren took eight. Now, most importantly of all, oh, sorry, Bravo took eight. But most importantly of all, um, uh, Santoki, I'm not including the spinners, obviously, because we're talking about fast bowlers. Sheldon Cottrell only took six wickets in eight matches last year. So this is what I find bizarre. Sheldon took six wickets in eight matches last year. He'd been injured coming into CPL. So why have him as their go-to strike bowler? Do you, do you understand where I'm coming from? Like, I'm not, that's not to say Sheldon isn't good. I mean, he, he's in the West Indies World Cup squad, but just from a sheer team construction standpoint, if you're going based on performance last year, it didn't make sense to have Sheldon as your only real go-to guy this year and with the and with the injury woes. Yeah, 100%. And when we looked at Trimbago in our previous episode, we talked about team strategy, team composition. And it seems looking from the outset that the Patriots essentially banked on having a deep batting lineup. They recruited a lot of batsmen and they, their strategy was to put up big totals rather than looking at getting a strike ball with that's backfired them on um, backfired on them massively. A lot of their batsmen have not performed. Most of their batsmen have not performed. Hence why they haven't qualified for the playoffs. But yeah, it just seems, seems very naive to sort of bank on Sheldon Cottrell to come in and especially bearing in mind the injury, he hadn't played for six, seven months. So it'd be interesting to see what was the rationale behind that. Were they just hoping that he could regain his form? Um, as you said, though, last year, his performances weren't up to scratch either. So it was a very, very big gamble, unless they had higher hopes for someone like Janssen to kind of step up and take the wickets, which again is another gamble. As you said, DJ Bravo coming up, he's approaching 40 in the next year or two. You can't rely on him being the sort of stalwart in the side to lead it. If anything, he's meant to be the guy handing over, passing on his knowledge to youngsters and kind of winding down in the game. But you felt like they were relying on him to be the premier bowler as well. So in terms of the bowling department, it just felt like a, like a, a big mess. And that's something who the team analyst and the head coach would need to answer for. Yeah, and I think, as I, as I said kind of like a few minutes ago, that's not to say the bowling was the main concern. It's It was a concern. Um, but I think another area we should probably touch on Santelki, which in fairness, I don't know how... This is one of those points where it's clearly a factor, but I don't know how valid it is given the wider performance world. So it, it is worth... And we would, we would be wrong to not point out that the Patriots had two games washed out, right? So... Let's just say they, even if they won one of those games, they'd probably be in the final four now, or certainly go down to net run rate. Obviously, if they won two, they'd definitely be in the final four. Now, my issue is, though, they weren't playing well enough for those washouts to be, I mean, they are there. They're there on record. It affects them because they only pick up two points out of a possible four and et cetera. But my, my thing is they weren't playing that well anyway when... Um, when the, when the washouts took place, I don't know how much we can take them into consideration. Yeah, no, it's, it's it's a tricky one because we're talking as if they've had the worst season of all time. When, as you said, they were one win away from making the playoffs, and that kind of speaks to how open the CPL has been this year, with sides taking points off each other. So, as you said, the washout games could have affected them, but. 
based on their form, it wasn't guaranteed they'd take the points. But also they did have the advantage of being one of the four sides who had home games. And as we've seen with Guyana, they've capitalised on their home games. You felt St. Kitts should have done better as well, bearing in mind they had four games at home. So there's a lot of factors, as you said. It kind of, They kind of all add up as to why St. Kitts have not sort of progressed and been able to defend their title in the playoffs. But Mash, one person we have to talk about, so 2020, if you look at the St. Kitts side from 2020 that finished bottom, it wasn't a poor side. They had Azari Joseph, Sheldon Cottrell once again, Chris Lynn, Evan Lewis. The difference was Wyatt Emmerich was captain. And we covered, we covered that CPL in 2020. And you just felt there was a lack of leadership in the side. So what they'd done for 2021 was they brought in DJ Bravo as a captain. And they also got the universe boss back, Chris Gale. Now, interestingly enough, when we done our CPL draft program with Samuel Badry on the Caribbean Cricket Podcast, he was bemused that Chris Gale hadn't been picked in the St. Kitts side this year just because of the wisdom and know-how he can provide to the side, especially the young players in the side, like a Josh De Silva, for instance, what the kind of the valuable insights Gale can give, um, regardless of his age and limitations that, that, that he currently has. So it'd be interesting to get your opinion. Do you think not having Gale, bearing in mind he's not in form, um, do you, but do you think just not having that presence of Chris Gale hampered the side? Yeah. Well, what we can do is look at the uh, is, is look at the facts, right? In twenty twenty one, the Patriots won CPL. Gale was in that side. A couple of weeks ago, the Patriots won the sixty. Gale was in that side. That's all I'm saying. That's all, that's all I'm saying. Now, of course. The people with the stats and the facts will come to us and say, yeah, but he didn't really make any contributions and blah, blah, blah. He's 43 years old. He shouldn't even be in a CPL side. He doesn't deserve to be in a CPL side. He's ruined his legacy. Blah, blah, blah. I hear all that. But as you kind of point out, Santoki, for some of these older players, it's their contribution to the dressing room is bigger than just what they do on, on the pitch. And I'm not saying Gale must get a CPL contract just because he's Chris Gale. But all I know is the side underachieved this year with the bat as well. And we'll get onto that in a second um, in this CPL. So as much as people are saying Gale shouldn't have been there, who who of that side actually performed with the bat, if, if, if you catch my drift? So... I mean, we'd have to ask the seat. We'd have to ask the, the 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 Patriots franchise. We'd have to ask the Universe boss himself. Maybe he didn't want to play CPL this year. I doubt it. Um, but if we're going purely on performance metrics, they probably were weaker. For in whatever capacity, they were weaker without the Universe boss. Yeah, 100%. And Chris Gale, for probably the last three, four years, has relied on that sort of aura to kind of carry him through. No matter his form, when he comes out to bat, teams adjust their formations. They change their tactics based on the fact it's Chris Gale coming out and they're preparing for an onslaught. So just that presence and aura he has, it'd be interesting to know the sort of discussion they had. As you said, we don't know whether Chris Gale opted out of it, the CPL, just to focus on the 60 for his own health. Or more likely, the nobody, no franchise sort of wanted him. And it'd be also interesting to know if they ever considered sort of bringing him in as like Darren Sammy was initially as like a consultant, because that would be perfect, I think, for Chris Gale. But it's hard to know um, what was going on behind the scenes. But for me, it definitely was a massive blow. I mean, the evidence is there. To, considering they've retained the core of the side from last year, 
to falter so badly. You look at the one missing ingredient and it was Chris Gale and sort of even his relationship at the top of the order with Evan Lewis. We know Evan Lewis hasn't played cricket in a while. Maybe his confidence is low. You just feel Gale knowing Evan Lewis could have brought out the best of him and with a lot of batsmen. So for me, regardless of the fact he's he's just turned 43, I think it was... It's a tricky one because if you look at his form and you said he wouldn't be deserving of getting into the franchise side. But as you said, there's more factors when it comes to Gale, just his legacy, the aura, the advice he can give. I feel probably would have been beneficial for the Patriots set up to have him in some capacity somewhere. Yeah, most definitely. And what will be interesting, <laughs> next year, Chris Gale will still be 43, but he'll be 43 <laughs> going 44. <laughs> That's <laughs> Would just if you were a CPL owner, Santoki, would you take Chris Gale at 43 years old in a CPL side? And then never mind Patriots. Would you take Chris Gale next year? Or, or because he wasn't in this year's comp, do we now say, you know what, Chris? It's actually done now. Like, other than the 60 and the possible T10 bags in Abu Dhabi, it's done now, Chris. Or do you think a franchise should just get Chris into their locker room regardless? Yeah, so Mash, as you were saying, I think Chris Gale's done at the moment. I think the fact there's not been any health concerns, any injuries, it's purely a selection issue as to why he hasn't been chosen. I think franchises are going to look at that. And also, he doesn't play in IPL or any other top-level franchise tournaments at the moment. So how would you kind of highlight your form? So it could be a case now he's sort of like a guest star in T20 tournaments and on like the 60, for instance, or... Alternatively, we could see a sentimental final run with his beloved uh, Jamaica Talawas <laughs> next season um, to give him to give him the send off he deserves. So, with Chris Gale, you never say never. But looking at it from this perspective, I personally can't see him playing CPL again, and we're not sure if he um, even does want to play CPL. It's a very good point. And and ladies and gents, before we kind of go into our our closing um aspect of the St. Kitts and Nevis Patriots. It's just a worth reminding you that you are listening to Cricket Conversation, Cricket's Conversation on 99.94. And whatever your team, we have the show for you on the podcast network, YouTube, or on the 99.94 app. We have India, England, South Africa, West Indies, and now Sri Lanka as well. If you want to find us, the best way is to follow us on social media at 99.94 DM by downloading the 99.94 app or Google 99.94 on podcast. We speak cricket. So Santoki, we spoke about the bowling. We've spoken about the two washouts. We've spoken about Chris Gale's absence and whether that was a role, but possibly the most serious or the main reason why I think the, the 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 Patriots have struggled this year, I think we have to look at the batting. And that's not to say I'm not, although we just spoke about Chris Gale, forget Chris Gale for a second. Let's just look at the batters this year in and of themselves, right? Who actually covered themselves in glory for, for the St. Kitts and Nevis Patriots this year? Maybe Andre Fletcher, because in fairness to Fletcher, if you add the 60 together with with, with CPL, you could argue that Fletcher was unlucky to be pipped at the post by Johnson Charles, probably rightly so, but unlucky to be pipped at the post. But other than Fletcher, all we really saw Santoki was that, like, if I call you all the batters, they might have performed once with distinction across a 10-game tournament, but n- never consistently, never together, um, and certainly not enough to justify the team being in the playoffs. So I we, 
if I if I call the the, the, the kind of auxiliary top six, Lewis Fletcher, Brevis, Bravo, Darren Bravo, Rutherford. Okay, actually, let's just leave it at top five. Let's just leave it at that top five. None of them, in my mind, Fletcher aside, had a good tournament. And the reason why it's important, Santoki, is if you look back to last year's tournament, one of the main reasons why the Patriots won last year was because Evan Lewis and Shafane Rutherford had not breakout seasons, but what I call stellar seasons. They were the backbone of, 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 um, of the Patriots winning last year. So much so that this time last year, people were calling for Shafane Rutherford to be in the World Cup squad. Evan Lewis went into that World Cup as one of the most devastating openers in the world. It just hasn't worked out for them. They went for Devold Brevis, kind of seen as the mini AB, but I mean, he's 19 years old, so it's harsh to say it, but he also flattered to deceive. Darren Bravo couldn't turn back time, although you could argue, was Darren Bravo ever a good T20 batter in the first place? But he couldn't turn back time. Rutherford didn't show up till it was too late. Lewis got starts, but couldn't kick on. So... As much as we're right to say lack of a fast bowler, I feel like the batters never gave the bowlers enough to work with and weren't good enough to chase a lot down. Yeah, considering the experience and sort of the titles those bats, batsmen have won between themselves, it was a massive disappointment. I think from a West Indies perspective, we'd be concerned about Evan Lewis's performances. Only once did he score higher than 25, I believe, um, in this campaign. And that's also because he hasn't been playing much cricket since the IPO. He hasn't played, not been included in the West Indies side for, for personal reasons. Um, so obviously he's out of form, maybe low on confidence. And he just wasn't able to capture the form that we know he have. So we're hoping he can do it in time for the World Cup, but it is a massive concern. Moving down the order matches, you rightly said, Davin Bravo, he sort of is controversial as to whether he is a, a quote-unquote T20 player. I think as well, it sort of links to the sort of clarity because we've only really seen Bravo succeed at the Chimbago Knight Riders. And that was where he was given a clear role at number three to sort of anchor the innings, rotate the strike, go at 100, 120 strike rate. And he sort of done well well in that system. Without a system where he was playing to situations, he just couldn't adapt. Um, and it's also, he doesn't have, I don't think he has the ability to go at a 150 plus strike rate. So he couldn't, when he needed to come in and play catch up, he wasn't able to do that. Um, Brevis is an interesting one. Obviously, much spoken about, plays for Mumbai Indians. I think if we're having this conversation in three or four years, he'd probably be in the top three T20 batters in the world. He's just got that potential. But you feel, again, they batted him up a lot of the times higher in the order, three or four, where he's sort of shown at the moment he's a natural finisher. In the last um, game they played against Shinbago, it was ridiculous innings. He hit 30 runs off just five balls, just hitting straight sixes. And that sort of shows where you needed to use Bevis for the whole tournament as a finisher to just blast it. So again, it sort of links to the construction of the side, but the batsmen are to blame. I think most disappointing for me is probably Shafane Rutherford, you know, at the peak of his career, someone who doesn't play for West Indies, but a lot of people have called for it because of his form. He just, aside from the one innings against Chimbago, where he hit 70 plus, he just looked, he just looked uh, as, as if someone, someone who hasn't played much T20 cricket, he just looked as if he wasn't sure in what he needed to do. He wasn't confident. And it's, it's a massive disappointment because he's someone who, based on talent, we should be holding him in the same regard as a Hetmeyer Poran kind of level. Um, but he just hasn't hit those heights and you wonder whether you are going to see it. But I think, as you said, as a combination, those top five batsmen, they they didn't perform at all. And um, again, when Bravo's that age, you can't rely on him to perform with the bat. He's more of a, a pure bowler these days. So it just added up. As you said at the top of the show, 
the components were all there. The bowling was substandard because of lack of an enforcer, but then more so just nobody stood up in the top five order to kind of raise their hand and say, look, I'm going to put a run together to score runs. Fletcher did do that in the context of the side, but even if you're looking at it in a general CPL sense, Fletcher didn't have a great tournament. He performed satisfactory, but it wasn't great. In the context of the side, it was better than the other batsmen, but in general, it wasn't great. And that's probably contributed to him getting picked to the post by Johnson Charles for West Indies selection. So there's a lot of question marks for, for the Patriots to consider next season, whether they do an overhaul of their squad, sim- similar to Trimbago, or they think about what experienced players can we bring from the West Indies setup from other franchises to kind of guide this kind of guide the squad. Now we've looked at, we've looked at those who played in the side match one to sort of wrap up the show. Interesting one is there were a few people on social media who said Josh De Silva should get a call up for the world cup um, as a sort of anchor type of player. I think that's a bit dramatic at this stage in his career, but were you surprised considering he was a regular in the side in 2020 and 2021 when they defended the title? Were you surprised to see him get, wow, did he play one game, one or two games? Were you surprised to see him not featuring this side? Yeah, Josh played one game and last year in 2021, he played six. Maybe in 2021, he was helped by the fact that he's probably classed as an emerging player. So therefore, they had to play him more. But the only reason I would say it's surprising to not see Josh get play more games one out of 10 doesn't make a lot of sense to me, is if your batting order is struggling. And I'm not saying that Josh is a big hitter, but certainly by, by, no, by no means am I saying that. But surely you try something different. Now, for example, assuming that Darren Bravo, just to use him as an example, was supposed to be used as the, right, if all else fails and wickets are falling, everyone bat around me. It wasn't working out for Darren. So why not put Josh in that role? For just as an example, I mean, everyone else is struggling as well, but I just, to, to me, Santoki, using the Josh example is just a very good example to highlight. And we've said this about so many of the franchises this season, just some of the muddled thinking that was going on. A lot of the franchises, TKR being one, St. Kitts being one, Guyana, early doors are one, Jamaica even now, um, a lot of the franchises got themselves into a bit of a rut and seemed to be stuck in their mode of thinking and didn't know how to switch things up. Like almost like they went into the tournament with a plan A and no plan B and then just got stuck with plan A. Um, so it's a bit farcical that given the batting walls that we, we've clearly highlighted that they didn't change anything with, with, with regards to the batting order. It's almost like, and maybe this is it and possibly my final point. Uh, DJ Bravo is a big believer in giving confidence to players and letting them know that, I believe in you and so on and so forth. And last year, I remember that Shafane Rutherford spoke about how Bravo told him when before the tournament started, you are our number four. We are backing you to get the run. So maybe part of it is about Bravo not wanting to show players that he'd lost faith in them, so, so, so to speak. So I just wonder how much of that came, in, came into it as well. But ultimately, as ever, as we always say, people, do, do at us. As, <laughs> <laughs> I was about to say at us at Karen Cricket. I mean, you can, but we might not answer people because, because we're locked in Twitter jail. But do at us all the same. Whatever your views are on the episode, you can find us on Twitter or uh, Instagram at Karen Cricket, Facebook as well, Caribbean Cricket Podcast. Do obviously get in touch, follow us, etc. If you've got any views, um, 
on what we've what we said about the St. Kitts and Nevis Patriots. And actually, Santon, the very last thing I'll give to you before we go, um, although it's really a big question, but let's see if you can give a quick answer to it. How much would you deviate from the squad for next year? It's, a, it's an interesting one. I think the talent's there. We see that top five batting lineup on paper is very solid. I just think maybe they might need a change in leadership. Um, they could pass it on from Dwayne Barber. And as I said, they might look at other franchises and see what senior players or what senior overseas players can we get to kind of take up a leadership role. Because you get, as we said, if they'd have won one of their rained off games that they played and they're in the playoffs, we'd be having a very different conversation about the side. So you don't feel there's going to need to be dramatic changes, but I probably think in terms of leadership and experience, they'll try and bring that in for next season to kind of guide the players. And hopefully they'll have Dominic Drake's back next, next season, who will be a massive addition to them. Most definitely. So as we always say, people, um, we're here three times a week on West Indies on 99.94. This is your first time listening to us. Hit that subscribe button. Hit follow. Leave a review. Leave a rating. But most importantly of all, tune in next time. Santoki, it's goodbye from me. Is it goodbye from you? Yes, goodbye from me. And, you know, if any CPL franchises are looking for analysts, you know, we've sort of, we've proven our credentials in the last, last three uh, episodes. So, you know, just hit us up, carrycricket at gmail.com and we, we'll be glad to assist for next season and, and give you the gold. Give us that big bag, people. See you next time. <laughs> hey there, and welcome to the Joy of Paddle podcast, hosted by me, Minter Dial, a veteran of the paddle tennis world, and sponsored by Paddle 1969. Whether you're a paddle tennis aficionado, just beginning, or have never even heard of paddle, or paddle, as it's called in North America, this is an exhilarating new show that delves into the captivating stories of notable paddle personalities worldwide. In its inaugural season, you'll be treated to exclusive anecdotes valuable tips, life lessons, and humorous moments shared by esteemed professional paddle players, industry insiders, and passionate paddle enthusiasts. With each season aligning with a pro tour, you can anticipate two engaging episodes per month. The Joy of Paddle Podcast is part of the Evergreen Podcast Network, where you can find other great shows in a number of categories, such as sports, health and wellness, true crime, and fiction. To find out more about Evergreen Podcasts, Go to www.evergreenpodcast.com. Vamos! Vamos!